This week on The Clubhouse, Anthony and I are on the road. We will be visiting several stadiums this summer in an effort to complete Anthony's 30-stadium checklist. On our first trip, we take a quick train ride to Washington, D.C. and Baltimore to catch games at Nationals Park and Camden Yards. In between ball games, we chat with an attorney named Charles Sheeler. He has left an indelible mark on the game of baseball. Charles educates us on steroid abuse in baseball, but not before sharing his memories of growing up an Orioles fan. This is actually our first two-part episode as we were having just too much fun chatting with Charles. This episode was recorded at the offices of DLA Piper, as well as in the stands of Nationals Park and Camden Yards. Blue Jays win it! Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life! Welcome to the show, everybody. It is a wonderful day for baseball. I am Manish Jane, and sitting next to me, as always, is Mr. Anthony Rapp. Hello. Our guest today is an attorney who was lead counsel to George Mitchell in the investigation into steroid abuse in baseball. But today, he's only an Orioles fan. <laughs> Joining us in the clubhouse, Charles Sheeler. Hi, Manish. How are you? Hi, Anthony. Hi. Doing just fine. I We have just so much to talk to you about today, but... To be honest, I just want to quickly start with your background as a baseball fan. You know, we're going to get into the steroid stuff. We're going to get into all your congressional hearings and A-Rod and Clemens and Bonds and all those fun names. But right now, what exactly brought you to becoming a Baltimore Orioles fan? Well, Manish, I was blessed as a child because by the time I was 14 years old, I had been to four World Series. Uh, I grew up an Orioles fan. <laughs> That's the, the, the cry of a Cubs fan. <laughs> all Sorry, and, go on. and while the Cubs were sitting on the sidelines, we were on the World Series in 66, 69, 70, and 71. 71 zero was born. Okay. And, right. and so uh, it was a, uh, it, we just had a great childhood. It was just sort of assumed that in October you'd be sitting uh, at Memorial Stadium or in front of TV watching the World Series. And if that wasn't the case, there was really something wrong with fall that year. So um, so I grew up very lucky, and but I, I've paid the price later because we've had a fair amount of pretty long famine since sure. then. But the, the, and that was, Manish and I were actually talking about this earlier today, you know, this before divisional play, really, right? That was, that, they were just correct. winning a pennant, that correct? Was just a, that was just a pennant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in those years before there was a division, you know, division playoff and the championship mm -hmm. series and all that stuff. So you had second place teams and third place teams. Who were the other that you guys were having to beat to get there? Right, right. So Minnesota was good in those years. They had Tony Oliva. They had Harmon Killebrew. Um, Boston was competitive in 67, for example. Yaz won the Triple Crown. Yeah. Um, the Detroit Tigers had a nice, you know, run in there one 68, year. 68, yeah. Yeah, 68. A right uh, guy named McLean. Before he went to jail, he won 31 <laughs> games. Wow. Um, what did he go to jail for? He went to jail for just garden variety fraud. Uh, he, <laughs> 
you know, know what? This is a baseball show. We get a lawyer on here and immediately. <laughs> Garden variety fraud. He just he's he stole a couple hundred thousand dollars from a union. I mean, come on, what's a couple hundred grand? That's garden Between variety friends. fraud. What's okay. a couple hundred grand? Sure. He brought okay. us a World Series. Game. So, yeah. and it was, in fairness, it was Mickey Lola's who won the World Series for Detroit anyways that, is, that yes. year. Um, but, you know, so it was different teams, different years. But the one constant was the Orioles because, remember, you know, one year we had three 20-game winners. One year we had four. I mean, it was yeah. just – I mean, think about trying to win yeah. 20, four 20-game winners today. Yeah. That, and and who, were the, who were those pitchers that you were, like, really, you know – Well, so Jim Palmer is yeah. probably the most famous and the best. And the year we had four 20-game winners, this was Palmer, McNally, Mike Cuellar, and Pat Dobson. Four 20-game winners in one year. I just realized I may have made our trivia questions way too easy for this gentleman. <laughs> we play a trivia game at the end of this episode, and I have a feeling you're about to clean up. But, well, uh, <laughs> wow. that's Yeah, but you're right, though. I can't imagine four. I mean, we barely get a 20-game winner in the entire league, let alone four on one team. But that's also the nature of you know, starting pitchers. And, no, I get that. But still, know. though, it's it's... You know, well, I guess so. You've been a fan for for quite a while now, and you've seen now the maturation process of going from. Uh, were there five man rotations, or was it mainly a four man rotation back well, then? Well, it had to be a four man rotation. Yeah, because with yeah. a five, you only get thirty two starts. Yeah, right? exactly. So, so it was a four man rotation. And back then, then, you know, there, there weren't nearly as many. You know, there weren't really any specialists. You had long relievers, but you didn't really have you know left hand only uh, facing left hand batters type type pitchers. So. You know, what are your thoughts on kind of how that has – do you think that has helped the game? Do you think that has hurt the game? Do you think it, it gets more players involved, obviously? You have a lot more, you know, uh, roster space taken up by, by pitchers. But Yeah, well, it's, it's such a different game from when I was growing up in the 60s. Um, and, and the biggest thing is what you, you both just point out, which is the specialization, particularly in pitchers. Back in those days, um, you had a lot of people pitch complete games. Nobody yeah. pitches complete games anymore. Yeah. You rarely had more than two or three pitchers a game. Now you might have two or three pitchers an inning. The biggest effect that has, I think, is on the length of the game. Yeah, length of the game right. I think the game is really healthy right now, but the biggest issue is how long it is. Yeah. And so I wonder sometimes whether they ought to limit trips to the mound in any given inning or how many pitchers you ought to allow in, in any given inning, that type of thing, because when I was going to all those games, I'd go to 25, 30 games a year back then, um, you know, the game would be over 215, two and a half hours yeah. tops. Yeah. And, and and I think actually baseball doing a lot better this year. Their de- games are down about 10 minutes. But, yeah, that's pretty good. But if you, if you collectively, yeah. that's a pretty significant amount of time. We got to yeah, uh, at this yeah. point, it's kind of a small sample size in, in early in the season. If you, I, I, I'd be interested because I've heard, I think, Manfred touting that, that, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. games are down, but I, I haven't done the research myself yet, but I'd like to see how many extra inning games we've had this year versus last well, year. Well, seven-hour game. That there was that one year. outlier there, the Red Sox-Yankees, actually a friend oh of mine. <laughs> oh, no, a friend of mine. She was at that game, and she stayed till the final out, I think. You know, it was she was freezing. She was texting me a picture of, look, we're still here. The lights went out at Yankee Stadium that night, if you remember that game. The lights right. actually went out for about a half an hour, and they, stay, they stayed to the final out, so... You gotta love a 19 inning game, but we don't really, we haven't had that many of them this year. I feel like you know it's been you know, and, and there's a lot of pitchers now that that are pitching to contact. You know, I feel like there's a lot of guys that are realizing, yeah, if we can get out there and throw the Greg Maddox, as it's called, the complete game shutout under 100 pitches, that's a lot more valuable than someone who can rack up you know 10, 12 strikeouts in a game. Uh, well, absolutely, and 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 you're right, I man. You the we'll really see the proof when we get to the pennant race games, and then we get to the playoffs because. 
Some of these playoffs games last longer than pregnancies. So oh, I mean, my it's incredible. <laughs> four, four and a half hours right. for a nine-inning game. It is, uh, yeah, so watching the playoffs with friends who don't really necessarily like baseball is a pretty fascinating experiment because they just, they don't understand. And you've got the God Bless America in the seventh inning now. So now the seventh inning stretch has gone from, you know, maybe a four-minute break to a 15-minute break. And, yeah, it's it's playoff games, the, yeah. the pace of play there definitely needs uh, some adjustment. Yeah, and here's the biggest issue from my perspective as an East Coast dad is that you have a whole generation of East Coast kids who grew up and they can't see the end of the playoff games or World Series on TV because their parents, like me, are sending them to bed. And um, that's not good for the game because you want to keep, you know, rejuvenating your base and, and baseball, like everybody mm -hmm. else, is struggling to get younger fans. You know, that's uh, when, I, when I went on my stadium tour, I would always look in every single ballpark, just kind of look around me. Who who are the people that I'm sitting next to? Who who are my my fellow baseball fans on a random Wednesday night game? You know, so it's not a Friday night fireworks game or a Sunday family day where it's a little more skewed younger, but this is just a regular Wednesday game. You said when you were a kid, you were going to 20, 30 games a year. Absolutely. So presumably there should be kids that are showing up. I was probably, the, you know, in most parks I was in, in my general vicinity, and especially where I was sitting, you know, a little bit closer to the field, I was most oftentimes the youngest guy by 20 years sitting around me, unless you know it's someone bringing their 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 kid with them and their kids barely paying attention. Teenagers and 20-somethings are just not going to games. You know, they're just not. And yeah, I do think that that having these these three and a half four hour games on on a Wednesday night when someone might have school the next day is. I mean, I propose just doing more day games and having the kids play hooky. That's that. <laughs> <my thing. laughs> now, did you successfully, uh, you know, evangelize baseball to your daughters? Well, <laughs> I was not as successful as I was with football. and But the reason was pretty simple, which was when my daughters were growing up in the 1990s, the Ravens were great and the Orioles were in the midst of 15 straight consecutive losing years. And they just yeah. weren't putting an exciting product on the field. Sure. Yeah. So... You know, it, it's funny, but your your habits just my good my good habits of going to the games just would have eroded over that period of time. And of course, there wasn't much buzz at the schools that the kids wanted to go because all the buzz was about the Ravens because they were sure. winning and the Orioles weren't. But you know what though, you guys have such a beautiful ballpark. Oh. It's you know this is going to be Anthony. We're going to the game tonight, and this is going to be Anthony's first time. I'm I've been actually more excited to show him camp yards than I have been about a lot of the other trips we're making this summer, just because it is it's a special feeling when you walk up to Camden Yards. I'm, I was telling him I hope and I'm hoping that Boog Powell is there tonight. I know he's normally there on the weekends, mm -hmm. but Boog Powell, you know, Hall of Famer for for the Orioles, he's mm -hmm. got his uh, Boog's barbecue pit there, and he sits and signs autographs for the kids, and he's signing T-shirts, and it's just it is. So such a gorgeous, gorgeous ballpark. So your daughters didn't really. I mean, did they? Did you take them to Camden as a kid? We, oh yeah, we we went to games, and of course they got to see the stadium, and the stadium's great the first couple times, but sooner <laughs> or later you got to put a product on the sure. field. Yeah. Now, thankfully, <clears throat> we are now, and yeah. I think the orders are putting a very exciting well, product Buck. on the I field. I mean, and Buck, we trust as far as that that mm -hmm. man can do no wrong as far mm -hmm. as I'm concerned. He similarly to Joe Madden, I think you know he's a guy that that makes more from nothing. You know, he, you guys, every year, it seems like you've got yeah. these, these arms that I've never heard of before, and he gets 15, 16 wins out of them. And it's like, I, who the hell are all these people? But, yeah. yeah. Look at a guy like Pareto, who never even heard of, certain I had, and now the guy's batting 325, <laughs> and he came out of nowhere. So, yeah, they, they have a, he, he's had a, a great ability along with Duquette to sort of pick up these no names and, and really get 
productive productivity. But talking about the field, I mean, we all love Camden Yards here. It is just a jewel and 20 years old. It's holding up really well. But you've been to all these parks. Like a lot of them look like knockoffs. Everyone, don't they? So that's basically when I tell when people ask me what my favorite ballpark is, it's kind of hard to pinpoint because they're all so so different. But what I tell them is basically that that. Every ballpark built since 92 has either ripped them off, ripped off Camden Yards, or basically used the same architect mm-hmm. as Camden Yards. I mean, you go to Comerica Park in Detroit, there's shades of of Copa or, or of uh, Camden there. I mean, all the, the modern ballparks, because, look, you did it right, so why, might as well copy it. So right. it's, you know, now the new generation with, with down there in Miami, and uh, we'll see what happens with the new Cobb County Braves now that Atlanta's getting to be moving. I'm curious because they're going like, to change their name officially. No, no, no. no that would be I, funny yeah. though. I'm That'd always going to call funny. them the Cobb County Braves. Now, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, they're the Cobb County Braves. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, it looks like that they're not going to be using that model. And I'll tell you, I was not as impressed with mine. I kind of, I, I get that they tried to do something different, but don't change what works. Camden is they found the perfect formula for blending an old, old school yeah. feel that when you walk, yeah. you know, I used to always. So I used to live in D.C. I used to take the train into Baltimore, I had season tickets. I would basically take the business before the Nationals came to town. I would take the train from D.C. to Baltimore. You'd get off on the light rail right outside of Camden. You feel like you're in the 20s. You feel like you're walking sure. off the train and you're walking. Babe Ruth's house is across the street. It's, But, yeah, so so there's a lot to be excited for tonight, Anthony. Yeah. Well, they were, yeah, and they were so smart because, you know, they talked about, you know, what are we going to do? with the big long warehouse you know do we do we just tear it down and then they decided to save it and the way they tied it into the brick warehouse best decision is is great and then you know not only that but then there's always this feel will anybody you know ken griffey jr ken griffey jr in the home run derby exactly and then hit the warehouse which is really cool i'm still waiting for somebody to break a window yeah sure (laughs) well then and now you'll see when you go out there by the warehouse, there's all those bricks mm-hmm. that it, it says, that, you know, where home runs have landed, not mm-hmm. quite reaching the warehouse, but mm-hmm. they've got them all marked off. This is where so-and-so hit a home run. This is where so-and-so hit a home run. Cool. It reached, it's, so yeah, so I, I'm very jealous that you've been able to go to games at that ballpark. No, it's it's, it's an incredibly beautiful place. And uh, you guys, you guys are going to enjoy it, notwithstanding the fact that, uh, you know, he, he need to wear parkas tonight. Yeah, but, uh, well, I'm from Chicago, as you, as I said. So I, I was at opening day Wrigley this year and it was chilly. <laughs> and I was bundled, you know, so I'm 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 accustomed to that. I'm willing for that. So what? Yeah, and I apologize for you know offending you as a Cubs fan by mentioning <laughs> that some teams go to the World Series. No, you know <laughs> there I is understand. a postseason. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I understand. We actually have had we've been two games or more over 500 for the first time in six years this year so far already in this young season. And you know who knows what's going to happen, but it's been a little exciting moment to be a Cubs fan again. So you know I. Well, your exciting moments tend to come in April, so congratulations. Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. wow. The gloves are coming off it's, early. It's this, is, this is what it must be like when he's, you know, facing off against, you know, A-Rod and Clemens. And I this know, is, right? We're seeing the teeth come out a little bit. Well, so you your last series was 83? Is that? That's correct. So okay. we, we've had a bit of a, uh, a dry spell as well. Hey, but... we're 84, so we're, okay. we're back-to-back right there. So, yeah, it's it's been a rough couple of decades for all of our collective teams right now. Now, last, I mean, last season was, of course, a pretty magical run for you guys. Absolutely. In the, in the postseason, you know, the, with what happened with the Orioles, and as you're watching it as an Orioles, or with the Royals, rather, um, as you're watching it as an Orioles fan, are you able to appreciate the sort of incredible run that the Royals had, or are you just sort of like getting mad at your team, or what was your what were your emotional highs and lows of watching all that? Well, I think obviously the, the, the first reaction was extreme disappointment because we thought we were in a position 
to get to the World Series for sure. the first time since 1983. But it became obvious early on it just it was just one of those series, and we've all seen them where every single um, time that Royals hit the ball is just when they always found a hole. Yeah, and and you see that go for a, a game or two. Plus, they had great team speed, which which we, we couldn't match. And you just realize, you know, it, it it we thought we would be the Cinderella team, the Kansas City Royals, but the Kansas City Royals turned out to be the Kansas City Royals last year. And yeah. uh, so, uh, and, and I didn't feel bad about it though because I actually rooted for the Royals in the World Series against the Giants because yes. I always root for small market teams. Sure. Sure. Uh, but but yeah, it's just you could see fate was not on our side. But I mean, there were some incredible back and forth games between the two between you and the Royals. I mean, I I, I was doing a show in New York, so I was only able to kind of like listen to the like the radio broadcast like backstage and between shows. It was real. I couldn't really watch the games, but. I just remember like hearing some of the. I mean, it was pretty dramatic. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't in any way kind of a blowout situation. Well, no, they they were close games, but we yeah. both, you know, everybody knew that you didn't want to get into a close game the late innings because yes, their, bullpen their bullpen was pen, better yeah. than our yeah. our, ours was. Yeah. Um, and and you know, they just kept hitting. The, they they got the timely hits, and we didn't. And um, you know, part of that was they had a better late inning bullpen. Yeah. Uh, part of it was just fate, and and. You just felt like our magic had just sort of run out. I mean, yeah. nobody expected us to finish ahead of the Red Sox. No, I know. Uh, yeah, last year. Well, the Red Sox kind of. Well, they were in last place last year. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. but when you yeah. go back to April, yeah, sure, 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 sure. Coming off the World Series, sure. and the Red Sox are going to be, yeah. you know, and yeah. they they completely self destructed. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, but I, but you know, but nobody nobody saw us coming and filling the breach. Sure. Well, I'll tell you, you know, last year. At, uh, so last year being, you know, uh, the 2014 season, at a certain point during the season, the Oakland Athletics were guaranteed to yes. win the World Series. Los the Los Angeles Angels were then guaranteed to win the World Series. And then the Detroit Tigers were guaranteed to win the World Series. And collectively, they won a grand total of zero playoff games. They all got swept out. Two of them by those pesky Kansas City Royals, and Anthony has now, he, you know, Anthony, I, I think, really got on board with the Royals' magic last year, and I 100%. absolutely did not. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's a Tigers fan. At the time, it was it was just devastating for me to see what was happening, and exactly what you just said is correct. The the hitting that they did for those couple of series there, I watched as a Tigers fan. I watched an overwhelming majority of Royals games last year. You know, I've got the MLB package, and my TV was oftentimes split-screen between the Tigers game and the Royals game. And the Royals team that showed up in those playoffs was not the Royals team that showed up 162 games prior. Their defense was always amazing. Their bullpen was always amazing, but they could never get the timely hits. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like starting with your series, something just happened, and it is. You, so you talk about fate. I love talking about the baseball gods. And it is kind of the baseball gods. I think touching down and saying, all right, Royals, we've been picking on you for the last 20 years here. You've always almost been there, but then we yanked the rug out from under you. So at least we're going to get you to the, you know, to the World Series. What you do uh, after that is on you. But, I mean, it was the timely hitting they had. And then in game, uh, uh, was it uh, 
in, in, in the clinching game of the World Series. Who was it that hit the triple? It was uh, Alex Gordon. It was Alex Gordon, or who, yeah, it was Alex Gordon on the on third base who yeah. hit who hit the triple. Yeah. I mean, they got the timely hit. Yeah, and if they had just sent him home, who yeah. knows what would have happened right. there? Yeah. yeah, but yeah. they don't they don't send him home, and yeah. Yeah. Panda catches the nice next pat, yeah. you know, pop up to the uh, foul territory. Yeah, and uh, that felt to me like the baseball gods once again saying, "Here, we'll give you one more chance," yeah. and yeah. they just couldn't capitalize. But uh, it was, I will say, objectively as a baseball fan, it's like so, so it was pretty cool. I mean, yeah. it's it's to see, like you said, small market teams who have struggled, who can't afford. You know, look, as soon as they do that, they lose Shields now. They lose, you know, Ioki. They lose. It's it's You can't keep signing the guys that are going to take you there when you're in some of these markets. You know, Baltimore has done a good job of, uh, I mean, I was going to say getting rid of Nelson Cruz was, I thought, a smart decision. He is mashing as of now, but... You know, you guys too can't much afford, money for exactly. You just deal. can't afford yeah. that that much money for some of these guys. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you raise a great great point because, you know, what I see in these situations with like Kansas City is is sort of how a group psychology takes place. By which I mean, hitting is contagious. Sure, absolutely, and not hitting is contagious. Yes. So I I was watching that and I was thinking back to. I, I'm still scarred by the 69 World Series where the Mets and the Orioles played. The Mets, the Orioles won 109 games that year. Yeah, yeah. Okay? We had three 20-game winners. We had Frank Robinson, Brooks Robinson. The Mets had nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. They had, well, well, they did have a guy named Tom Seaver. Yeah, but like, yeah. Tom Seaver was yeah, yeah, sure. had to be okay. Yeah, but sure, but yeah, a bunch of role players. But yeah. there's a reason they were called yeah. the Miracle. Yeah, yeah and, they're, they're the and, Miracle Mets. And then they beat us in five, and just everything that could go wrong would go wrong. You know, we... Uh, you know, they drop a bunt and we hit the batter who's out of the baseline, but they, you know, <laughs> but they don't call it. And you just, after a while, you realize, you know, the gods are against us. We're just, yeah. it, it, we're just not yeah. going to win. Yeah. And, and and that's what I saw with Kansas City. So I, I actually was surprised they didn't beat the Giants. I was. I, the Giants actually, I was talking, the Giants last year, for the first time in my illustrious sports career, I predicted the San Francisco Giants to win the World Series in spring training. Wow. Unless I have it in writing if nobody believes me. And How much I, money did you put on that in Vegas? Unfortunately, <laughs> I, I've, I've given up that type of gambling because otherwise, oh, God, last year I wish I would have. Because I feel like cause I don't think they were favored pretty heavily. I, I was going out on a limb last year. So that's another reason why I was kind of pulling for the Giants just, you know, personally. Because I was like, hey, I've, never, I've never done this before. This would be kind of nice to, to predict the actual series winner because every year – you know, whoever the favorites are in April are rarely there, rarely there in October, or at least at the end of October. They might be there in the first couple of rounds, but that's one of the things that I just adore about baseball is that no matter who you are, no matter what expert you are, it is impossible to predict what is going to happen over 162 games. Yeah, and the and the small sample size, really, of the even though the postseason is lengthened, it still is a relatively small sample size, yes, you know, to, right, to make. Right. And, and, and I think that's the healthiest thing about baseball today. Everybody was worried with the big money that, you know, the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox would win it win every year, yeah. and that's just not happening. Yeah. You look, Yankees and Dodgers had the two biggest payrolls, but it hasn't translated into an on-field advantage. And I'll say even the Tigers. The Tigers have been investing a lot of money over the last yeah. several years, and you know, two pennants, but no World Series. So yeah, it is. Sure. You know these these relative. I mean, <laughs> like St. Louis, teams like Kansas City, teams like San Francisco. I mean, these aren't major, major. I mean, San Francisco doesn't have that. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I don't think they're they're towards the top of the league as far as payroll. I feel like they're they're kind of in the middle of the pack right there. So, yeah, there is, I feel like, a lot more parity in baseball than, than one would think. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, going out and spending, you know, whatever it was on Max Scherzer, you know, a couple hundred million bucks. Um, Over 14 years. With, yeah. Ooh. You know, first off, these contracts where you end up paying people when they're 40, 42 years old, I think are very, very risky. And second, it's no guarantee anything. You know, the Nationals, way too soon to tell, but they're seven and nine. Yeah, we were we went to their game yesterday. And, um, you know, to any of our Nationals fans, listeners, I was just, I was pretty, I was surprised at this team that's, you know, supposed to be so stacked and world beating. They had no intensity. And mm-hmm. we were sitting pretty close. So we, we were, were like, li- we were literally sitting where we could see them walking down into their dugout. And mm-hmm. there was like, they were like, bl- so blasé. It was bizarre in a very tight game where you would think. So Max was pitching quite well. Yeah. And Michael Walker for the St. Louis Cardinals was pitching really well. And they had just no, they, they were just like no fire in their belly. Well, and defensively, weird. it's like it was a comedy of errors out there. They just, they, there were so many weirdly blown calls. We got to see a little league uh, uh, home run where uh, whoever the reliever was. You know, he's backing up the catcher. He catches, the, you know, uh, the throw from center and just airmails it to the second baseman. It goes 10 feet over his head and dribbles into the outfield. And the guy on second comes around to score where it's just it's in a close game, in a close like... game. And it just it seems like, well, I, I, I was talking about this the other day. I feel like they remind me a little bit of the 2012 Tigers where their rotation is stacked. Like on paper, that rotation is scary, scary good. But their bullpen is weak. Their offense really is is hit or miss, but yet everybody in March was like, "Oh yeah, the Nationals. The Nationals are well because run of the pitching because because we, we know we we do know the pitching of course makes a huge difference in the postseason." But but you got to get to the postseason, yeah, you, you know, you got to right. you got to do that. And now I know this is very we're very early in the season, but as we're recording this, the you know New York Metropolitans are, are on a bit of a run. <laughs> yes. You know, the Mets are just <laughs> good lord. They're they're yes. they're putting it together, and it's it's that's once again what I love about baseball is is teams like the Braves who preseason everyone's like oh yeah the Braves are selling off everything they're doing pretty well you know teams like the Royals the Tigers the Orioles there is you know different teams that are that are that are able to to grab the spotlight Houston's doing pretty decently right now yeah. you know it's it's yeah, so that that's why I'd rather pay the big money to say Buck Showalter than the Max yes. Schwerzer yeah sure because he has he has his team doing all the, the, the little things right. So let me just give you one example from the Saturday's game against Boston is uh, we've got a runner on first. Our catcher, Caleb Joseph, f- a, a sacrifice butt down the line is trickling along and Panda's trying to figure out is it be fair or foul. Right. Ultimately, right when it looks like it's going to foul, he has to pick it up. Why? And now it's a hit. Why? Because Joseph was smart enough not only to get to second, but to round second and make it look like he's getting to third. So now... Because some second-string catchers made a really smart play. We've got runners on first and second. Panda had to pick it up. That inning, it was 3-3. Three to three. That inning breaks open the whole ball game when Adam Jones uh, clears, the, uh, clears the bases with a basically a double. So all these little things Absolutely. that you don't get from, you know, that the $150 million players don't give you any more than the $150,000 players really make baseball. And, 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 and that's why somebody like Showalter is worth his weight in gold. Oh, I, Showalter is, you know, I feel like, I, I don't know why, but but managers like him don't get nearly enough. Him and Bochi and, and you know, just, just these guys that 
No, Joe Madden is another one that I'm I'm so on the Joe Madden ban, uh, Joe Madden bandwagon. Where yeah, it is. It's these intangibles that you don't. It's it's the minor little the fact that he sent a runner there or the fact that he didn't send the runner. There, just tiny little decisions in the second, third, and fourth inning that seemingly make absolutely no difference at all are the ones that end up when you look back on. Oh no, that's why we won the game. Right, right. There's this culture in the NFL or amongst fandom that you know. Belichick is a genius. There's these genius coaches who yeah. cause the teams to win. I don't see feel that as much in baseball, and yet I think hmm. managers are every bit as important oh, to yeah. baseball so important. as coaches <laughs> are to football. Yeah, yes, of course. Yeah. Well, because I guess you see, you know, you see the military um, formations and the tactics of football. So you can talk about that, I guess, more. But but there's there are so many things, and well, you know, if you know the game of course I, I we've talked about this before on the podcast which is for me when i look at football there's so much going on at any given time it's hard for me to really appreciate the finer points whereas in baseball i feel like i can see everything as it's happening so i can appreciate the finer points so i would be i am a little surprised when people don't talk about managers as much as they could or should because it's all there for you to see yeah sure, sure. and and you see where they're positioning um the defense and you know how how they're doing that and you know I saw another play where Adam Jones a couple couple days ago, and he he hit this ball, which I thought would be, get right through the infield. We bring two runs in, yeah. tie the game. Turns out the first baseman was really halfway to the second base position. It went right to him. But <laughs> yeah. you know that, you know the manager's decision to have the first baseman way out towards second, even though they actually had a runner on first. Yeah. Saved a big inning. Yeah. Well, so I have a question for you. So so the defensive shifting is something that is a very polarizing topic. And and to be honest, I'm not even sure where I'm I stand on it. You know, I part of me says, look, if you can't learn how to, you know, beat the shift, then you know, maybe get out of the business. It, it's kind of you can't learn how to lay down a bunt or hit the other way. You should be spending your entire offseason doing it. But that being said, there were shifts back, you know, I think they shifted on Ted Williams. I think yep. they shifted on on some folks back back in the day. Have Obviously now though it's it's you know exponentially more than it was then. When you are sitting there and you're and you're watching a game, do you feel like that is is? Cause I know the man, uh, the commissioner Manford wants more offense. Do you think that the defensive shifts are something that we're doing too much of right now and that we should eliminate, or do you think once again if you can't beat it, you know? I, I fall in the latter camp. It, I mean, it seems to me the defense ought to be able to line up wherever they want. If they want to put eight people on the right field line for Chris Davis, God bless him. <laughs> but, you know, it, but it seems to me Chris Davis, then, when you have the second fielder playing deep right, has got to figure out a way to, to take it the other way. I mean, yeah. why these guys, you know, a Chris Davis who's what, batting, what, like 236 right now, an yeah. on-base percentage of 325, why he doesn't bunt down the third baseline, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, but and 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 you know get his average up and get on base, particularly when we have good people coming up behind him, is is beyond me. So I say shame on the people who don't take advantage of the shift, not shame on the people who put it on. Well, so you you bring up Chris Davis, which kind of a sore spot for me, mainly because he stood in the way of the great Miguel Cabrera having back to back triple crowns. Uh, which he was well on his way to doing. And that kind of now leads me a little bit to your day job and what you do when you're not uh, an Orioles fan. That was part one of our chat with Charles. In part two, we will learn all about his experiences leading the investigation into steroid abuse with Senator George Mitchell. Up next, join Anthony and I as we sit in the stands of Nationals Park. 
All right, so we're sitting here at uh, Nationals Park. It is currently four to one uh, in favor of the enemy, St. Louis Cardinals. Well, the enemy to me, I mean, are they your enemy? 2006, baby, I'll never forget that. Oh, okay, that. so yeah, okay. So we have, but I, and I've always said this, and I think I've said it on, even on the podcast before, but I have total respect for the Cardinals. I don't hate them. I don't get angry at them the way I get, like, I kind of hate, I don't know, sometimes I hate other teams, maybe sometimes, but I don't really ever hate the Cardinals. I, I have respect and I can't believe how they just are so consistently doing really good things when on paper they don't look like they're world beaters and yet they kind of are always there. I, I, we were on, on the train ride up here. So we are sitting here in D.C. and on the train ride up we were discussing that and my thoughts on the matter are basically that when you go to St. Louis it is seeped into that town's DNA and I feel like it's just there's an expectation there out of the womb that the Cardinals are just going to be a good team. There is not. There's no doubt in that. Not like there's doubt in Chicago about the Cubs or in Detroit about well, the Tigers. There's doubt. Of, there's doubt in Chicago about the Cubs. And there's I mean, never a doubt in in St. Louis's mind that they're going to put something yeah. on 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 but the I, field. But I will say, like, what's different to me about that? Like, I think that Yankees fans have that expectation of the Yankees, but it's a pressured expectation. Yes. I don't think there's a pressured expectation. Absolutely of the not. Fans. There's just like a a confidence, a quiet confidence, which is like how they play. They play with a quiet, confident intensity. I agree with that. And they're not ever super flashy. They just get it done. Like like today, yeah, basically, it's it's they've just been getting the right hits to the right spots, out, dinking and dunking, and just basically getting it done. And conversely, it seems to <laughs> me that the Nationals are don't have a kind of intensity. They they have a kind of a Almost like, and it's, and it's sort of epitomized, but in some point, some ways, but Bryce Harper's made a couple of really like nice catches, but he kind of lackadaisically got there, and then they made them look a little fancier than they needed to be, or something. It's uh, they're not playing; they just don't feel the fire in their belly. You know, it's hard to tell that from out here. Maybe they are really quietly intense, also, but it doesn't feel that way. It does anyway, seem like they're yeah. kind of going through the motions. But this is Anthony. This is your, uh, which, by the way, we apologize. You can hear the blaring music in the background here at Nationals Park, which yes. seems to be a staple of, of current Major League Baseball stadiums, which is a bit sad. I wish they would allow for some silence uh, in between pitches. But uh, this is your first visit to Nationals Park. I mean, just what are your first thoughts of kind of what you think of, of our nation's capital? Uh, I feel like it's a little bland um, in terms of the, the, the stands themselves are a little, I don't know, some parks just feel a little, like have a little more character somehow. Uh, but I do like the, the the field looks great, like the the, the grass and the you know th that's very very nice. And you feel I do like you feel kind of enclosed in and it feel you know it, it feels intimate in a nice way. Yes, I agree with that. Um, there's a lot going on visually, or maybe a, to me to my eye just a little too much. There's like a million and one things going on with the around the scoreboard and you know there's uh, but. But it's a you know it's a it's a fine ballpark. I certainly wouldn't put it up there with one of the one of my favorites. Yeah, I think you pretty much hit the nail. I think you know DC right now. The Nationals are are working on building. Hold on, we got a double, double play. Oh, play. Oh, oh. A big a big big slide at second took out. Uh, That's Desmond. Yeah. 
So I had to check out who was at second there. But... Oh no, it wasn't Desmond. No, that, that was Espinosa. That was Espinosa. Yeah, that was Espinosa. So uh, Slide took out Espinosa, but uh, was able to convert the double play. So was, yeah, so that was something. But so, but, but what we were talking about earlier is that you know DC is a city, and the Nationals are a team that are still in the process of building their identity. And so I think right now, one of the reasons why this park does feel a little bit more blah or bland than some of the other parks is that they just don't have a lot of history to promote and a lot of history to put on display. Yes. And so I think that over time, they will certainly be able to build, you know, there's some great statues out front, you know, and there's some great uh, um, uh, information about just kind of the history of baseball here in D.C. that's on the walls. Yeah, but I like that. We like The Library of Congress put up a really cool display of some old-timey photos of the Washington Senators and presidents at ball games and stuff like that, and that was really nicely done. And of course, they have, you know, before the game, they've got the big bobble-headed presidents yes. walking around taking pictures with folk. Which are funny and silly and slightly disturbing all at the same time, but, <laughs> you know, what else do you want at a ball game? Exactly. But, uh, so I think, you know, we're, we'll come back to you from Baltimore and maybe talk to you guys a little bit later, but that's the end of the uh, top of the ninth. We're going to go into the bottom of the ninth inning and hopefully get our rally caps on and get a victory for the Nationals. Thank you very much. That was game one of our mini stadium tour this summer, but the excitement picks up as Anthony and I head to Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Please check out clubhousepodcast.com for in-game photos and more from our games in D.C. and Baltimore. So join us as we sit in the stands at Camden Yards. Here we are sitting in the absolutely beautiful Camden Yards. And Anthony, I just need you to explain to people what your first reaction was to walking down Utah Street for the first time. Well, I kind of haven't stopped smiling all afternoon and evening. We got here extra early because it's that kind of park where you can actually walk around and experience a true atmosphere of the joyous, joyous game of baseball. I mean, it's... It's, you know, it had been kind of like, everybody had told me Camden Yards is great, and I believed them. It's not like I doubted them. It's just like so many things when they're explained to you, when you actually experience that it's as good or better than it's been said to you, that makes it in some ways even better. It's like, I don't mean to make this weird comparison. It might sound weird, but, you know, people always talked about the David, of course, the statue of David. When I saw it in Florence, I, it was, even though you've seen all the representations of it, it's still, you cannot believe how absolutely beautiful it is in person. And this is that kind of thing. It really is that kind of experience in terms of, on a relative scale of what it means to walk into a, a, a baseball cathedral. I do not have any issue with you making that analogy at all because, you know, uh, when I had my former podcast, uh, the Running Third podcast about my baseball tour, the tagline was essentially, it's a podcast about baseball's cathedrals. I think the David analogy is, I, I agree 100%. And I, I think it is, when I tell people I've been to 30 parts, I always tell them, you know, it is difficult to say what's your favorite, but Camden is a perfect baseball stadium. From the, the atmosphere, to the architecture, to the statues, to every seat in the house, what did you... Sorry, we're getting distracted from this live baseball. That is a running grab. What, really? And he's tagging up from second uh, to second, and he's out. So dumb. A very, very bad base running move by Manny Machado, just who reached on an error, made a boneheaded tag up at first on a fly ball to right field. But I don't know, I'm sorry, left field. We are, I am all turned around. Once again, let's focus back <laughs> on what we're talking about. See, this is the problem with trying to record these at an actual no, game. That's awesome. This is, this is baseball, folks. So you got to love it or, you know, turn off the damn podcast. All right. <laughs> so, when you walked into the ballpark, we walked down Utah Street, 
We had a little bit of bite to eat. We had uh, some crab sandwiches. You had some crab soup. Okay, here's the, that, that's the thing. Crab soup. Who ever heard of crab soup? Delicious. But utterly then, delicious. But then what happened? And then, then what happened? Well, a little bit later, I had the, <laughs> the like, kettle-cooked potato chips covered in lump crab meat with cocktail sauce? I mean, have you ever? It is a delicious <laughs> have you ever had concoction. Such delicious goodies, goods and services at a baseball? And I will say this, that Anthony has been on cloud nine since eating that. It was absolutely hysterical to watch you devour that delicious. thing. It was delicious. But so, basically, this ballpark is a ballpark that you believe everyone should be visiting. 100%. Unfortunately, the Orioles just uh, ended the inning, and what's going to happen now is you're going to hear one of my least favorite aspects of coming to a live baseball game, which is the loud, blaring music that plays in between innings. And now there is a uh, a slot machine-type game happening on the video board, which, once again, no disrespect to Camden Yards, but what that has to do with baseball, I have no idea. You know... It makes, I don't know, makes some people happy, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. You know what? Yeah, write us in at, at, at uh, or tweet us in at Clubhouse, at Clubhouse on Twitter. What do you all think about the music that is played at the ballpark these days? And Anthony and I have an idea that I would like to propose to any owners who are listening right now. For one game. Yeah, all you baseball team owners. Yeah, listening. they're listening. I know I know Artie Moreno is listening. I know that Mike Illich is listening. You guys are we're the number one baseball podcast that I just, you know, that was starring Anthony Rappamanese Chain. For one game, you can sponsor it out to who you want. Have it be the silence game. Any ad revenue that you're going to lose from playing music or playing ads in between innings, 50,000, 100,000, 200,000 sponsorship. And just have it be silent. Listen to what's happening behind me right now. I'm sure you can hear that music. How is this connecting to anybody in the crowd? No one's dancing. No one's singing. I want to be able to hear the chatter on the field. I want to be able to hear the ball hitting the mitt. I want to be able to hear the grass underneath their feet. I don't want to hear since you've been gone. Does the grass whisper to you, Manish? Does it, the grass speak to you? It does when there isn't music blaring in my ears. I feel like a 95-year-old man, but our seatmate here is, is shaking our head in agreement. I think we all agree. Just one game, baseball owners. Call it the silent game. I'll fly to whatever ballpark you're doing it in, and I'll buy the most expensive seat in the house. Just once. See what's going to happen. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't disagree with you. It is pretty crazy. All right, so we're going to wrap it up here pretty soon so we can get back to the game. Just wrap up some of your thoughts here about just Camden Yards and about, you know, how excited you are about the rest of our tour that we've got coming up this season. Because we've got, we've done two now in two days, and yeah. we have 15 more to go. Well, that's pretty crazy. Um, I just feel like we've kind of peaked a little early in terms of, <laughs> you know, maybe I hope that's, you know, I'm sure we'll still see some good games. But I, I, I would find it hard, I would find it, Hard to believe that we could top this in terms of a, an actual baseball field experience, but you know, but that's all right. That's all good. It'll all be. It's out it. there. Believe me. Yeah. Every single ballpark has something unique about it. Has something special about it. Camden just happens to have all of it in one spot. Yeah, and we've also been seeing a very, very good game and a really fired up crowd and all of the atmosphere. It's really, it's been, it's been totally swell. 
Oh, spoiled. And, and there's a leadoff single for the Red Sox. But once again, you've already seen this game. Mookie so. Betts has been on base every 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 uh, time. Every played appearance, yeah. Yeah, every played appearance. It's currently bases loaded. It's a 4-4 tie in the bottom of the seventh. I just want you to hear this crowd. I just want to remind all of you, it's an early April baseball game. It is freezing. And this is how amped this crowd is. Uh-oh. Mile high pop up behind home plate. Into the stands. Couldn't tell off the bat if it was going to stay in, but it just sneaked back past the uh, screen behind home plate. Uh oh, oh, that pop is coming close to us, actually, but no. Into the dugout. <laughs> I hope you're all being able to hear the chants of Manny, 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 as Manny Machado is, on the, is at the plate. And listen to this crowd. Another low ball. Well, hey, Charles, I'm, we're at the recording here. We're, we're, I'm sitting here with Charles, our, our lovely guest. Say what you just told me again. So this is like a playoff game atmosphere in late April. This is incredible. This this ballpark is rocking. Yeah. Ball three. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Runners will be going with the pitch. It is now a three. I hope you're all enjoying this play-by-play -play from a game from over a week ago. But this is very exciting in this ballpark. People are on their feet. We are all on our feet. I'm just going to let the crowd tell the story. took a big rip at that, ladies and gentlemen. I wish, I wish this could have ended better. But uh, the Red Sox fan next to me are very, very happy. Hopefully, we'll be back with a hopeful walk-off by the end of this game. See you later, folks. We are now in the bottom of the ninth, one out. The Orioles are down 7-5. to five. Manny Machado is back at the plate for a chance of redemption. Men on first, first, and third. first and third. Men on first and third. He represents the winning run. Please listen to this crowd. And he popped him up. Popped him up. We were just been told by our seatmate that he hit two home runs last night, so it looks like he needs... He just threw his helmet on the ground. And he threw his helmet in a fit of rage. Manny Machado is disappointed with himself. The designated hitter. First and third, two outs. Bottom of the ninth. Here we go. Swinging from his heels once again. These Orioles are all trying to hit the ball to DC. Oh, he swung at a ball in the dirt. 
You can hear the groans of the crowd. Anthony, I'm curious if anybody is still listening to this because <laughs> <laughs> we are doing play-by-play -play for a game that is long since over. If you're listening, send us an email. Let us know. And that's the ball game. Good night, everybody. Strike three. Game over. The crowd goes home sad. We'll see you next week in the clubhouse. The home base for the Clubhouse podcast is the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse, located on 67 East 11th Street in New York City. If you consider yourself to be a baseball fan, and I'm assuming if you've made it this far, you must be, you have no excuse for not dropping by and checking out the fantastic baseball-inspired artwork and one-of-a-kind memorabilia for sale. Mention the podcast to get a free bag tag with any purchase. The Clubhouse is produced by Zach McNeese. The website and logo were designed by Ronan Jora. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review and a comment. Leave us a comment telling us about what your favorite ballpark is, and Anthony and I will read them on the show. Follow us on Twitter at ClubhousePod. You can follow Anthony and I individually at RoundingThirdMJ for me and at AlbinoKid for Anthony. For guest ideas, baseball stories, or just to say hello, shoot us an email at ClubhousePodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week.